going to set this over here. We are going to start our new uh, December series today, and it is going to be The Gift of the Christ, and, um, and so what we're going to be doing this month for the next three weeks, we've got three Sundays until Christmas, we're not going to have a Christmas morning service, if you haven't seen the announcements or the email or the calendar, we're going to have a Friday night kind of like a candlelight vigil uh, service here, 7 p.m. on Friday night to the 23rd. And then you can just spend Christmas morning with your family. But um, when we, we open presents on Christmas morning, and imagine this scenario. Imagine like your grandma sends you a present, and it comes in a box, and you're like a kid, and you're like, oh my gosh, a present from grandma. And you open it up, and you see this little box down in there. And you rip it open, and it's like, it's like a trinket at best. Maybe like on par with a Happy Meal toy or something. And you're like, thanks, grandma. And in your heart, you're like, that's lame. And then later, months later... Grandma's like, did you get my present? And you're like, yes, thank you. It's cute. It's sitting on my shelf. And she's like, what? The, the trinket's sitting on you? Like the toy? And you're like, yeah. She's like, but what about the other present? And you're like, what? She's like, the card. The card that was in there had, like, money in it. And you're like, no! In my, in my disgust of the little toy, I threw away the card. I didn't even open it, Grandma. She's like, there was three $100 bills in that card. The trinket was just something like, because I thought you liked Pokemon or whatever. Imagine the feeling of like, I opened the present, but I didn't get it. I opened the present, but I didn't actually, guess, I didn't, wasn't able to receive the intended gift. Because I only saw this thing that was in front of me. Does that make sense? Guys, I feel like we do that every Christmas morning. Every year at Christmas, we receive this present of baby Jesus. And we have, you know, little sculptures of baby Jesus in our nativity, and we talk about baby Jesus, and we remember Jesus being born. And so Christmas morning is all about the, the, us getting this gift of the baby Jesus. And that's good. But there's so much more to who Jesus Christ is than we can get out of the image of a baby. And so what happens is we get this present every Christmas. And we're like, thanks. Thank you, God, for this baby in a manger. But we don't get it. We don't get the actual real gift. And so what we're going to do this December, this week and the next two weeks, is we're going to look at attributes of who Jesus is. And then we're going to pull those out and be like, okay, remember this attribute. And when you now, when you look at the baby, I want you also to remember this. Because when you look at the baby, you're not going to see this. But you should. And so what we're going to do is the way I describe it in my brain is we're going to, we're going to wrap, this month we're going to wrap the present that we're going to unwrap on Christmas morning. And, and the more care and attention and like intentionality that we can put into this process 
of looking at these attributes of Jesus, then on Christmas morning, we'll get to be like, yay, baby Jesus, but that will actually mean something. It won't be yay, baby Jesus, like in, uh, like Ricky Bobby prays in Talladega Nights. It'll, it'll be like actual baby Jesus in all of his, everything that we're going to study this month. And so that's what we're going to do. I hope that helps. My hope is that you see things that will help you connect with a fuller and more complete understanding of who Jesus is. And so this week, our lesson is Letters from Heaven. We're going to work backwards. We're going to start at the end and work backwards to the baby Jesus. We're going to look at two attributes of Christ that we see in the book of Revelation. You might be like, I was not expecting to hear a Christmas sermon from the book of Revelation. Well, get ready, because here it comes. We're going to look at two attributes of Jesus. The first one is His majesty. What does majesty mean? Well, it means impressive stateliness. It means royal power, dignity, beauty. I love the idea of royal power, and that's... That's the thing. That's, you know, I always go back to that. Jesus is Lord. God is King. Our God reigns. There's majesty there. But what I hope we can do is connect that majesty to the little humble baby Jesus. So we can easily miss this in the Christmas bustle, hustle and bustle and the, the hubbub. There's very little that is majestic about a baby lying on a pile of hay. And so we dress that up in our nativity scenes. We're like, well, we, we can add the majesty, like with the star shining down and an angel and the, the wise men and all that. And that's fine. But Jesus is majestic without any of that. And so the more we can learn about who Jesus is, the more we don't need to supplement it with outside majesty. He's got plenty of majesty just spilling over from him. So I want you to see the baby and recognize the majesty. And so we're going to go to Revelation 1. Turn there in your Bible. I'm not going to put the whole thing up on screen. I do want to read it to you. I would encourage you to read the first three chapters of Revelation this week, maybe, or sometime this month, and connect with these two points that we're going to make today. So in Revelation 1, this is John. He is uh, on this island. He's being exiled, and Jesus comes and visits him. In a divine revelation. That's why the book is called Revelation. And so Jesus comes and says, Hey, John, I got some stuff to tell you, and I need you to tell other people this. So pay attention. And starting in verse 12, this is what it says I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars." And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face 
was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. And that's how the the book of Revelation opens. John, one of Jesus' disciples, walked around with him very closely for three years. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Very close relationship they had. And yet when he sees the risen, glorified Jesus, he falls down like he's dying. And he's just struck by the majesty that is Jesus. Very different picture than the picture of the baby in the manger. Okay? And so I want to look at this description of who Jesus is. And you might, you might remember this. I've actually shown you these pictures before. People are so amazed at this description. They're perplexed by this description. Like, what does that look like? Like, if I had to imagine what this actually looked like in real life, like, what would it look like? Uh, Artists have tried to draw it and render this in some way. It is completely impossible to do this description of Jesus any justice. And so here are some. Here are some people flexing all the artistic skill they have to draw something that resembles this scripture. And some of them are downright cringy, guys. I love this one on the horse with the sword coming out of his mouth. And another revelation tip, he's got a a tattoo on his leg. Jesus does. So that's why he's got that like thigh slit going on on the robe to show off the sweet tattoo. Guys, uh, <laughs> this is the one. This is the one that cracks me up the most. I love it. I actually love it. It's the most like comic-y, like comic book, graphic novel type. And this is John falling down dead in front of Jesus, and he's like juggling seven stars in his hand, and he's got fire and swords and all amazing majesty. But this is laughable compared to the reality of Jesus' majesty. Whatever it was that that John saw there, it was awe-inspiring, it was overwhelming, completely indescribable, unfathomable majesty of Jesus. And this is what we are going to try to wrap up into a a little baby package. (laughs) So that on Christmas morning, when we, when we unwrap, when we, when we get the baby, we actually see the majesty. And some of us might be thinking, well, that's a little weird. I don't really like that Jesus. I actually prefer the baby Jesus. And I get it. The problem is, the baby Jesus is not who Jesus is now. That's who Jesus was 2,000 years ago as a baby. This is the now Jesus in all his majesty. And this is like a, a silly depiction. But Jesus, when you think of Jesus now, this is what we need to be thinking of. 
glory, royal power and dignity and majesty. And so I just want you to know, there's lots of ways that you can view Jesus. You can view him as the teacher and the rabbi. You can view him as like the the radical revolutionary. You can view him as the sweet little innocent baby. But we have to connect the majesty of Jesus to who Jesus actually is right now. There is a Jesus at the right hand of God right now who is so majestic and so filled with royal power that if you saw him, you would not be able to function properly in your body. You would be reduced to awkward scribbles if you had to describe it. And this is what John was like. I, this is what I saw, but it, I fell down like I was dying. And so my question is, when I see the baby, will I recognize the majesty? Or will I see the baby and stop at the baby? Because majesty is like one of those $100 bills that grandma gave you that you can just throw away because you just saw the little trinket. When I see the baby, will I recognize the majesty? So you might be like, well, who cares? So what if I do? What's the, what's the danger in doing that? We can have this cute, drippy, syrupy, sappy version of Jesus that actually, and, and push away all feelings of the fear of the Lord. And we can go through life thinking that baby Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And the, the, the actual risen, glorified Jesus would probably take issue with that. He's like, but am I your Savior? Am I your Lord? So there is some danger if we just keep Jesus in the manger as a baby. He can't stay as the baby. All right, I got one more. And this one's going to take a little more longer. But I got one more attribute of Jesus that we see in the book of Revelation. And this is loving correction. Now, we don't have time to read all the next two chapters of Revelation, but I would encourage you, read Revelation 2 and 3. They cover a wide range of issues and some very specific situations going on with those churches. But what happens in chapters 2 and 3 is that Jesus says, Hey, John, I'm going to tell you what I want you to write in a letter to these seven churches. And then I need you to send it to them so that they can get this message. And each church, there's seven churches, and each church has a very focused, specific thing that Jesus is trying to address. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. But I want to look at this, the pattern that Jesus puts forth in these letters. And then I want to uh, ask us to do some self-reflection. And then, I want us to realize that loving correction is a part of Jesus' character. He literally reached down from heaven to tell these churches some some news. Some of them are like, hey, you're doing great, and some of them are like, hey, you're not doing great. And so, the first thing that jumps out to me when I look at the list of the letters in Revelation, is this idea of, I know you. 
Jesus says over and over and over again, I know what you're going through. And I know what you're doing. And I know how you love people. I, he even says, I know, that the, I know where you live. <laughs> and I think this is very important because we, again, can have this detached. A baby in a manger does not know us. A baby in a manger doesn't look at my heart and see anything I need to change. A baby in a manger doesn't say, hey, you got you to gotta grow in this or you have to repent in this. Or, hey, you're doing good at this. Baby in the manger just sits there and gurgles. But is that all we want? I just want a baby Jesus who just sits there and like, blah, blah, blah. I don't want a baby Jesus who's actually going to like sit up and be like, hey, Ben, you stink at this. Like, that would freak me out. But that's literally the resurrected Jesus comes back and says, hey, I have a message for you because I know you. I see how you're doing. And here's some thoughts. If we just want the baby Jesus as our Savior, we are basically saying, I don't want to know what you think about my life. Don't tell me. I'll just be Lord of my own life. You can be my Savior. I'll be my Lord. And I'll run it how I want to run it. And if you have opinions, keep those to yourself, baby Jesus. And so here's the the template for the letters, okay? This is the, like, if you were going to get a form letter, like a, like a open up word and, hey, give me a template for a, a resume. And this, this is kind of the, the template to the letter for, from Jesus. He starts off with this greeting to the church in, and he, he names the city. And so it is important to know that these greetings are not to a person. They are to an entire church. And that just goes back to individualism versus collectivism. That, that the first century church was not necessarily about a personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was about we as a body are in this together. So he's not admonishing a guy. He's admonishing the whole church. So I, as a minister, I have to take that seriously and ask myself, what would Jesus say about our church? But I also want you to reflect on this yourself personally. Then he usually follows that up with, hey, I know your deeds. I I see you, I recognize you, I see what you're doing, good and bad. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. But in almost all of them, he says, I know what you're doing. And then comes the conviction. In several of them, he goes to, yet I hold this against you. So there's some letters where he's like, I know your deeds, you love people, you're awesome, you're great, yet asterisk, yet I hold this against you. And then he outlines some ways that they need to grow and repent. Even when he gives them like lots of encouragement up front, there are some where he's like, but you still need to work on this. And that's this loving correction. That is this part of Jesus that's like, I love you, but I'm also going to continue to train you. And so my love for you does not negate or invalidate my desire to correct you and help you grow and mature. And yet we think that sometimes. We're like, well, if you wanted to be really loving, you should just say, hey, I see you, you're doing awesome, and then end it. 
and parents, that's what our kids want us to do. Hey, good job, man. You don't have to change anything. You're doing fine. Keep it up. But as parents, we know we're like, okay, I love you. You're doing great. Could you also maybe, like, work on listening or obeying or when I ask you to clean your room, clean your room? Like, that doesn't mean, none of that correction negates the love, right? As parents, you realize that? But when we feel that from Jesus, when we feel the Bible convicting our hearts on our sin, do we jump to, oh, I don't want this Jesus. I I just want a loving Jesus. But can can we hold that tension together that he is correcting us and our heart will be convicted over the course of our spiritual life? There's times where we may feel downright, like, shameful. For the way that you've, you're behaving. And then also know, Jesus is 100% loving. And then he'll go from there. I hold this against you to therefore. And what he's doing here is he's saying, he's giving them a, a, like a call to action. Like a way forward. And so sometimes it'll be like, I know you, I love you, but I hold this against you. You're not handling this false teaching very well. Therefore, and then like to the church in Ephesus, we just finished the book of Ephesians. Well, then he writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. And one of the things he says is, you need to go back in this therefore section. You need to go back and remember the love that you had at the beginning. Your first love. That was the path, the therefore, the call to action that he gave that church. And then he ends with this, hear what the Spirit is saying. To those that, that hear, I will give victory, and they will be, be overcomers. And he tries to end on this like really encouraging, like, like victorious, overcoming um, place on all, almost all the letters. He's like, if you, he's like, I, 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 to the church here, I know you, I love you, but here's some stuff you need to work on. Here's how you work on it, and here's my belief and my faith in you. I believe that if you do this, you can be victorious spiritually. And sometimes, like even talking about this can feel overwhelming. Because you're like, ah. I'm just going to say this. We, we were not in ministry. I, I was just a, a young husband and, and dad. And I already, if someone ever was like, man, I believe in you. You can do great things for God. I'd be like, I don't, do I even care? Can I just, can I just coast? Can I just get up, go to work, come home, and on Sundays come to church? This idea of like a spiritual trajectory towards victory was honestly like, sounded just like too much work. But that's how Jesus sees us. The spiritual potential inside each and every one of you should blow you away, overwhelm you, but also encourage you enough to actually give it a shot. But in our society, we're like, oh man, I don't know. I don't know if I can squeeze it in. And so that's the letter from Jesus. And so here's what, here's what I'm going to encourage all of us to do. Sometime this month, this 
before Christmas, I would encourage you to sit down, carve out some time in your schedule. Don't try to get rid of distractions. Try to write a letter that fits this. Because no one, other than Jesus, no one knows what's in your heart. You know. And if you can wrestle up a degree of self-awareness and humility and self-reflection and try to follow this pattern. So here's what I call the Jesus letter to self. And I would write it to you. So I've, I've written this letter out many times. And I start with, Dear Ben. And I'm trying to imagine what I would want Jesus to say, but also be honest with myself. So the next part is, here are the list of things that I really hope someone sees in me. Here's all the stuff that I think everybody's, everybody's oblivious to. No one sees all the stuff that I'm trying to do for God, but I want Jesus to see it. And write it down. And everything. You can just get, get bo- like braggadocious about yourself. Like, you can just start gloating. Like, you can be like, dear Ben, like, I know how early you get up and how hard you work. Like, write it all out. Write it all out. But, but you can't leave it there. We have to get honest with ourselves and imagine the things that Jesus would say You're not doing well in this. Here's the thing that you are bad at spiritually. And then the next part is, what are you going to do about it? Like, what is is the way that you're going to choose to live so that you're more good at the good things and less bad at the bad things? What does your actual repentance look like moving forward? And then lastly, you can write yourself a little pep talk about, you know, listen to what I'm saying. And I believe in you. You're going to be awesome. But here's my question. So I'm, I'm going to say, try that. Write that out. Sometimes. And and if you want, if you have someone that's, that's close to you, show it to them. And I think if someone, here's a pro tip, someone shows you their letter, one, bless you, take it super seriously, thank them, and then make a list in your mind. Oh man, this is the stuff that they want to be recognized for, and I'm going to start praising my brother or sister for this stuff. I'm going to start noticing this really good stuff that they're doing. And, Make notice of what does it look like. They, they say, this is how I want to change. Be like, I'm going to commit to helping them change. And when I see growth and I see them overcoming, I'm going to praise them for that too. So my question is, do I see Jesus as personally interested in me? Or is he distant? Sometimes, a distant Jesus up in the clouds is as distant as a baby in the manger. 
And what I love about Revelation is that he breaks that distance and he comes down and he says, I want to talk to you about what I see in you. That's awesome. It's awesome. Loving correction is an attribute of the the Christ, the gift of the Christ. And when we open up the baby Jesus on Christmas morning, will we see, man, Jesus loves me and he's personally interested in my life. Will we recognize it? Will we accept it? And I just want to be honest with you guys. All of you are going through stuff. You're all dealing with, and some of it is serious stuff. And you can come to church, and, ha- and if, if we all just have surfacey friendships, then you can think that no one else has stuff that's as deep or as real or as serious as you. And you think like, I mean, their life is fine. I have like crazy drama going on, and they're just like coasting through life. You have hardships. I can just think, I can go around the room. I'm not trying not to make eye contact right now. I can go around the room and think about some of the hardships that some of you have. And they are serious. They are serious temptations, serious struggles, serious sometimes guilt or shame or feeling like you can't overcome this. I think about in Genesis when God told Cain, it's like, Sin is right there, and it desires to have you, but you can overcome it. You might actually have sin in your life right now that could destroy all your relationships. And I, as a minister, I can't say those things are irrelevant or easy to deal with. They are soul-crushingly difficult. I get that. But I can say, with a hundred, I can't even say, I can't even guarantee that everyone here is going to help you. I can guarantee that if you try to get help, at some point someone's going to, like, let you down. But I can a hundred percent guarantee that there is a Christ that sits at the right hand of God, fully majestic, with all royal power in the entire universe. And he's not just majestic, he's personally interested in who you are as a person. And he's not just loving, but he's also loving and wanting to see you grow and mature. Majesty, loving correction. That's awesome. He knows what you're going through. So for the rest of this month... We're going to keep developing this picture of who Jesus is. And next week, we're going to look at the suffering servant of Jesus. But I want us to hold on to these. And I'm going to keep reminding us. That's what we looked at last week. This is what we're looking at this week. This is what we're looking at next week. And so Christmas, when we have that time where it's literally just us and the baby Jesus, I want that to mean so much more. Like Jesus isn't just this thing. He's this Massive, majestic, sitting at the right hand of God. And so, is this working? Maybe.
Yes. Do I see Jesus as personally interested in me? And so we are going to, uh, uh, I'm going to pray, but then Devin is going to do our communion message this morning. And I just want to remind us that when we are going through the Christmas season, the, the world and our society has a very, like, sanitized, stripped-down uh, image that they're going to try to sell you about who Jesus is. And what I want us to do this month is really understand, like, in his full, full identity who he is. Amen? Let me pray, and then uh, Devin will come up and do our communion. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his majesty and his love and correction. I pray that we can understand that... Um, that he is all of those things and more, all at the same time. Uh, but God, we know one thing. He is not the baby in the manger anymore. He uh, went on to live an amazing life of example and sacrifice, and I pray that we can make him the Lord of our lives and follow suit. We are so grateful for this time and your word, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Devin, come on up, guys. <laughs>